0: My name is Colin I'm one of the pastors here. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God the skies proclaim the work of his hands. This morning we're going to spend some time thinking about the promises of the Lord and what we get to do today is enter in we enter into his presence we enter in with with joyfulness with thanksgiving and that's a decision that the decision that we make this morning. So turn your attention to the Lord today. Let's sing. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God that is never late is working all things out. Working all things out, singing Yes, I will lift you up In the lowest valley Yes, I will bless your name Yes, I will sing for joy When my heart is heavy All my days Yes, I will you Jesus, we can count on you, in the good and the bad, come on sing, I can count on one thing, the same God that never fails, will not fail me now, you won't fail me now, in the waiting, the same God that's never late, is working off me. You're working on me, sing it out now. Lift you high in the lowest valley, yes. I will bless your name, yes. I will sing for joy when my heart can stand against yes I will lift you high in the lowest valley yes I I'll bless your name yes I will yes I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days yes I will for all my days yes i will will. for all my days yes i will one more time oh for all my days yes i
1: will church can we give god praise this morning come on there we go so good to see you this morning welcome to church Uh, One of the things that when you read the New Testament that you learn about the church is that when they gathered like this for worship, it was always a participatory activity. It wasn't just a bunch of people on a stage doing a thing. But Paul actually says when you all get together, everybody has got a word of instruction or a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song. He says, and all these things need to be done for the edifying, the strengthening, the building up of the church. And it's hard to do sometimes in a room of this size with so many people, but we have little things that we do here and there. And one of the things that we love doing every so often is a little open mic time. And we got a couple of microphones that are set up at the Frontier. And this is a chance for us to speak into the congregation, the scripture verses, the promises of God that have been re- uh, resonating with us of late. And so Paul says this, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says that no matter how many promises God has made, Every single one of them is, you might be able to finish it, yes, in Christ Jesus. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And one of the things, if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time that you know, is that it's those promises of God that get you through the difficult seasons. And so we're going to go back into a song or two of worship here. And as we go into worship, I want you to think now about those promises that you're holding on to for very life right now some scripture verse from the Old Testament or the New Testament, maybe a Psalm or a Proverb, something that's got you. It's been like an orienting verse for you. And I want you, Pastor Colin here, uh, in just a little bit, we'll open up the microphones again. And I want you, as you're thinking about these scripture verses, just to come up here, right at the microphones here, line up, and then we'll have a chance in just a few minutes to begin speaking the word of God into the people of God. So think about those verses. Colin will lead us back into worship, and then we'll jump up on the microphones together.
0: Let's sing the oceans may rise over my head. It can change, voice it can change, voice it. The wine be found in the land of death. It can change, voice it can change, voice mm-hmm. God. To us more The oceans may rise over by head, it can change what you said, it can change. do is good. You are kind, and everything you do is kind. You don't fail. You haven't and you never will. You are good, and everything you do is good. Oceans may Forward to these microphones. You can line up here at this one. Line up here on this one. But let's encourage the body. Let's encourage one another with how the Lord is speaking to you. What are the promises that he is speaking over? Peter, why don't you lead us off, sir?
2: Hi, my name's Peter. Hebrews eleven six says it's impossible to please God apart from faith. Anyone who wants to approach God must believe. Both that He exists and He cares enough to respond to those who seek Him. And when we talk about believing God with faith that He exists, we're not talking about believing just that He exists. Satan believes that He exists. What we're talking about is believing in the character of God. He is who He says He is. He will do what He says He will do.
3: And that He will reward us if we seek after Him.
1: That's it, Peter.
2: Pastor Andrew talked about yes, and um, I was reading James 4, 7 through 10, and in the message version, and it says, so let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil, and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God, and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. So i want to
4: read a couple excerpts out of Ephesians 4, first verses one through six. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, begs you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Jumping down to verse 11 11 through 16 says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind and new teaching. You will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the, his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each, each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love.
5: Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Renew our minds, renew our hearts, Lord Jesus, for your glory. We are nothing without you, Lord Jesus, we worship you, Lord Jesus. From Psalm 121, a Psalm of a sense, I lift up my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Ephesians 1,
2: 16. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. 1 John 3,
6: 18. Dear children, let's not just talk about love, let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're really living truly and living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down debilitating self criticism, even when there's something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. And, friends once that's taken care of and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves. We're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch our hands out and receive what we asked for because we're doing what he said and doing what pleases him. And again, that... this is God's command to believe in his personally named son, Jesus Christ. He told us to love each other in line with the original command. And as we keep his commands, we live deeply and surely in him and he lives in us. And this is how we experience his deep and abiding presence in us by the spirit he gave us.
1: Jamie, hold up, hold up, hold up. Jamie, stay on the microphone here. That line just so caught me. I don't know if you heard it, debilitating self-criticism. And the moment she said that, I went, man, there's like a dozen of you probably in here this morning that that has been the story of your week, maybe your morning. Like you could barely get out of bed because of debilitating self-criticism. And so Jamie, that scripture was in your heart this morning. Can you pray that over our church? Pray the comfort of the spirit. Pray the power of the spirit into the debilitating self-criticism that the goodness of God would cause all that to evaporate. And friend, if that's you this morning, just lift up your hands like this and receive these prayers.
6: What we think we're supposed to be what we think we're supposed to be in front of people and what we think we're supposed to be in serving you we cast that down and we ask for your forgiveness Jesus will you forgive us for idolizing this image that we create of ourselves that we think we need to be would you forgive us Would you truly help us to repent and turn away from that? Turn away from what we're carrying. Turn away from all the junk that we think we should do and be. We are called to be free children of yours. You have given us everything for life and godliness, Jesus. You have given everything to us in abundance and beyond that, Jesus. So we don't need to be anything. We don't need to be anything but your children, God. We don't need to be anything but those who come to your lap and sit at your feet and just weep in thankfulness for what you've done for us, Jesus. Would you fill us with your love? Just and. Would you just fill us with your love and compassion so that we can be that to other people? Because you said that's the only way we're going to actually live free and boldly is if we can come to you and be filled with your love and love other people in the same Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy. Amen. And in light of the prayer that was just read or, or said, um, the Lord laid on my heart, how he reveals himself to us. In Matthew 11, he said at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed to them little children. And a couple of verses later, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is
7: light.
2: This morning, God showed me Psalm 16, verses 9 through 11, which falls right into when we do these things, we can say, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to the pit or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore.
0: Oh soon on his way he will break through it through the night Oh be strong. remind my soul I remind my soul Just speak truth over yourself remind my soul It will never leave you or forsake you
7: remind
0: my soul says I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you remind my soul Sing I remind my soul I remind my soul I remind my soul, oh, sing. He pulled me. Oh, He pulled me out of the pit. He put a song on my lips. He set my feet on a rock. He spoke.
8: Bear with me. It's Ezekiel 37. The Lord spoke, the Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord into a valley full of bones. He led me all around the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground, they were dried out. He said, Son of man, can these bones live again? Heck no, I said. (laughs) It's not in there, but that would be what I'd say. Sovereign Lord, you alone know the answer. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones. He said, say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I'll put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath into you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke the message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across that valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. And then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones, and then skin formed to cover their bodies, and they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to the to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message that was commanded me and breath came into their bodies and they all came to life and stood upon their feet. A great army. And I just want to share, like a little less than a year ago. I had back surgery. I was working for a company six weeks after I went back to work they laid me off that was December 2nd and I stood in this I stood in this room two days later just crying like I am right now looking at Dry bones everywhere I looked. I had spent my savings to take care of my surgery. It was a couple weeks before Christmas. I didn't have a job. And I got a severance check, uh, severance pay. And uh, the time came to give the offering. And the Lord said, "I want you to tithe on that." <laughs> I said, "Heck no." <laughs> he said, "No, I'll do it." So I I looked at the little pay app on my phone to figure out how much that was going to be, and I was looking down the net column, and I heard the Lord say, "You want me to bless you on the net, or you want me to bless you on the gross?" <laughs> okay <laughs> I got nothing else so in a, kind of a prophetic act I was like okay and I gave that afternoon I, got a, I do uh, construction remodel work that afternoon I got a call out of nowhere I, hadn't been, I had a phone call for my personal business in over a year And I got a call from somebody that wanted some work done out of the blue. And the next day, I got another call. And it's September, and I've worked every day that I wanted to. So can those dry bones live? Yeah, they can live. And I have another situation in my life that just came up over the last couple weeks that was completely unexpected. With with one of my kids that was the last one I thought would go through anything like he's going through. And I was out there to visit him last weekend and, and I just got away from there and I'm like... It looks like a valley of dry bones. It looks like there's no hope. But I'm holding on this morning that those dry bones can't live. So before you ask me to pray, I'll just do it. <laughs> I'm sorry for taking so long. I'm probably making everything run late. God, I pray over every situation that's represented in this room for the areas of lives that look like they're dead and have no chance of coming back where it seems hopeless where it seems like everything's lost where it just caught us off guard and we're like what the heck is going on and I speak to the situation in my son's life and I speak life and breath and healing into him and I speak that same life that same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead into to all those situations that are represented in this room. And we ask these things in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hold
1: up, hold up. Danny, stay up here real quick. I'm not gonna ask you to pray anymore. You did great though. That was awesome, by the way. We need to pray for your, is it your son? We're gonna pray for Danny's son. How many of you, the rest of you, you'd say that you got a kid that's going through something that's kind of eating your lunch at night, like you're, it's keeping you up. Raise your hands real high. Boy. That's every single week, hands up real high. If you're around these folks, lay hands on them. If you're by Danny, a couple of you, the Swiatex, Rory, lay your hands on Danny, Gary, come on up here. I mean, what is this for if this is not for our kids? What is the reign of God for if it's not for our families? And here's the promise of the scriptures, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. That promise is not conditional. God's not saying, if you do it right, I will save your children, or if your kids play their cards just right, I will save your children, or if you're a really good Christian, I will save your children. He says, I will contend. I will contend with those who contend with you and your kids. I I am going to save them. And we believe the promise of the scriptures that our children will come from the east and the west and the north and the south, and they will gather at the feet of the God of Jacob. They will worship at his feet and they will drink of his goodness and they will testify to his mercy and loving and kindness. And our kids, God, we are doing the best that we can for our kids and it is still not enough. And so we entrust them, all of them, and every child in this house, we entrust to the care of our heavenly father. Holy hound of heaven, we say chase them down to the ends of the earth. Remind them who they are and who they belong to. We pray that you would fix them firmly in the kingdom of God. Granite, we pray. Granite, we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
2: Sabbath Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all and Jesus saw her. Jesus saw her and he called her forward and said to her, "Woman." You are set free from your infirmity." Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Father, like this woman, our dysregulated stances, our patterns of thought, our trauma, the scripts that we tell ourselves, our wounds can cause us to be deformed and disregarded, been over doubled, just like this woman. Thank you for your presence here today. Lord, you have seen us. You see the one who is hurting deeply. You see the ones, Lord, that uh, are really struggling in their families. You see those, Father, who are just uh, They can't take it anymore. They're hurting so deeply. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, you would come among the frail and the broken. Lord, this is how encounter and revival happens. Thank you, Father, for coming into our midst in a great way. And thank you for our leaders for opening up their hearts to give us time to share where we are what we're in the midst of so father we pray that you would come and set us free to taste the sweetness of your healing power and your wholeness we thank you father that you emancipated this woman emotionally and you set her free physically but you came to her spiritually lord after 18 years of faithfully coming to the synagogue Lord, you saw her and you set her free. Thank you for those who are in our midst today, for we ourselves who are just like this. Lord, we come with expectant hearts and we pray your blessing upon Rory as he opens up the word of God. May we be strengthened and may uh, we be set free, Father, to live for you in this coming week. Thank you. In the name of the one who is the resurrection and the life amen
1: psalm 36 this was my reading this morning the psalmist says your love lord it reaches to the heavens and your faithfulness to the skies and your righteousness is like the highest mountains and your justice is like the great deep lord you preserve people and animals how priceless is your unfailing love Both high and low among men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life and in your light, we see light. Church, I want you just to lift up your hands just like this. Both high and low. Those are at the top of the pile of life. Those are at the bottom. They take refuge in the shadow of God's wings. They feast on the abundance, and he gives them drink from the river of delight. And I don't know what you came in needing this morning, but right now God's feeding you. He's giving you what you need. Maybe you need healing in your body. Maybe there's provision that you need, a relationship that is not working. Maybe you're tormented in mind, tormented in soul. God is feeding you. You're feasting on the abundance of his house, and he's giving you drink from the river of delight. And so we acknowledge your goodness, oh God, our love, our life, our all, you are our everything. And it's our honor and it's our privilege and it's our joy to lay our lives down before you. Because when we do that, we find that you treat us better than we deserve. You're the God who delights in the well-being of his servants. Nobody will be condemned who takes refuge in him. And so we thank you that we can tuck ourselves into you. Thank you that this morning you reminded us of that again. And we're so grateful. We're so grateful. Man, church, it's good to see you this morning. Are you glad you came to church? We're not even done. I always tell our team... I think the thing that I am most interested in when we come to church is that something real happens. <laughs> I'm just so sick and tired of playing church. I'm so sick and tired of us coming in and I just can't. It's not like we do that intentionally, but I don't want. What we want is the kingdom breaking through. What we want is God interrupting us. What we want. It's a Jamie Mendel moment with emotion hanging out. And we want a Danny moment where we're testifying to the goodness of God. And we're wanting a Gary moment where we remember that God sees us and we're contending for that. And I hope that you'll contend for it with us. If this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew, I'm the lead pastor here. Such a joy to have you in our house. We're one of eight congregations of New Life Church here. We worship, connect, serve. That's how we follow Jesus together. If this is your first time, you'd love to like to learn more about getting connected with us. Uh, See us at Connect Central immediately following the service. We've got a gift for you and we can answer any questions that you might have. Baptisms are coming up. One quick announcement. Baptisms in a couple weeks here. Uh, normally do it in October. We, we have a super busy October, so we're doing it in September. If you have not taken the plunge, if one of your kids has not taken the plunge, just make sure to let us know. And we're going to have a horse trough lined up right here. And the Spirit is going to come and sanctify that horse trough and the waters therein, are in. And uh, it'll just be such a wonderful thing. So make sure to let us know about that. We would love to have you all signed up for baptism. We are going to open the scriptures in 30 seconds here. So I want you to turn around and hug like 18 people around you. And then Pastor Rory is going to come bring us the word. I'm going to invite you to take your seat this morning, ladies and gentlemen. I got one fun thing that I got to pass along your way before Rory preaches here. Come on. Come on. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Let's go. Let's go. That's enough friendliness in here for one morning. Hey, two years ago, almost two years ago, uh, so I think it was actually next month, October. Was it October of 21 is when you first joined our staff? Pastor Rory Green first joined our staff in October of 21. And when we hired this guy a couple years ago, guys, we hit the jackpot. This is a guy who's got massive leadership ability, massive gifts. He's an incredible preacher and teacher. And when we brought him on staff, we brought him on staff initially. guys, associate pastor overseeing community development. But we have seen so much leadership on him. And I was in conversations with Pastor Brady over the summer. And I just said, I want to give him more. What can I do? And he said, why don't you make him like associate lead pastor of New Life East, just like Pastor Daniel Grothy is my associate lead pastor over at North. Make him associate lead at East. And I said, what does that mean? And he says, whatever you want it to mean just elevate his leadership and get him thinking with you more strategically about where the congregation is going and get him preaching and teaching more. And so we have promoted him over the summer to associate lead pastor. And I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, give it up for Rory Green here. And I know what some of you are thinking because I've heard the rumors flying around. Andrew, does that mean that you're leaving us? And I gotta tell you, I told the volunteer huddle this before the service this morning. When I went on sabbatical this summer, Part of the reason that sabbatical was such a joy for me and for Mandy was that we believe that the psalmist said, Psalm 16, the boundary lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. Surely we have a delightful inheritance. And we feel like with you guys, we have found our people. And I have turned down jobs over the last few years. People calling saying, hey, would you like another opportunity? And I say, no, I found my humans. I'm going to do my best to stay there until the Lord forces me out of this house. So you say, then, what's going on with Rory Green? We're just trying to recognize the gift of God on his life. Can you guys support that and appreciate that? Can we give it up for Rory Green? Bring the word to us this morning, my man.
3: Andrew, thank you so much. New Life East, thank you so much. Leadership, pastoral work only is as good as the house that it finds itself in. So thank you guys. You guys are an incredible congregation to be a part of. With that said, I told the team this morning that I thought my sermon would be a little short, not a uh, 15 minutes short. <laughs> so we're going to go, uh, this is all gas, no brakes, First Kings, First Kings chapter 5, we're just going to go. When Hiram, king of Tyre, heard that Solomon had been anointed king to succeed his father David, he sent envoys to Solomon because he had always been on friendly terms with David. Solomon sent this message back to him. He said, you know, that because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, and there is no adversary or disaster. That's because Solomon killed them all. Continuing, I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, whom I will put on the throne in your place, will build a temple for my name. So give orders that the cedars of Lebanon be cut for me. My men will work with yours, and I will pay you for your men whatever wages you set. You know that we have no one skilled in felling timber as the Sidonians. When Hiram heard. Solomon's message, he was greatly pleased and said, Praise be to the Lord today, for he has given David a wise son to rule over this great nation. Jumping to chapter 6, in the 480th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. Jumping down to verse 11, the word of the Lord came to Solomon As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David, your father. And I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. So Solomon built the temple and completed it. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Now, what's interesting in chapters 5 and 6, you're essentially reading the blueprints of a building. Which, unless you are an architect or any other crazy person who cares about such things, it is a bit of an odd chapter to sort of find ourselves in. We're just reading about how a temple is going to be constructed. But what I would propose to you today, as we look at some of these verses and and these key moments in these building parts, the temple is meant to be more than just for us to read and be like, wow, they built a thing. It's for us to look at it. And what the temple does is it gives us a picture of the kind of God that we worship And it gives us a picture of the kind of world that God is trying to create around us. The first thing that I recognize about these passages is that our God is a God of order. Our God is a God of order. Chapter 6, verse 2, it says, "...the temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 wide, and 30 high. And for those of you who don't measure anything in cubits, that means nothing." The portico at the front of the main hall of the temple extended the width of the temple, that's 20 cubits, and projected 10 cubits from the front of the temple. He made narrow windows high up in the temple walls. Against the walls of the main hall and inner sanctuary, he built a structure around the building in which there were side rooms. The lowest floor was five cubits wide, the middle floor six cubits, and the third floor seven. He made offset ledges around the outside of the temple so that nothing would be inserted into the temple walls. Evidently, that was a problem. In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used, and no hammer or chisel or any other non iron tool was heard at the temple site while he was being built. Can we throw up that picture, Noah? This is a, a picture, or at least a rough idea, based on the descriptions of what Solomon's temple, this thing that he was building, would have looked like. For us, this seems like the most elaborate megachurch we could imagine. They give you a bit of a scale there. It's roughly the size of like an American football field. This thing was massive. But it was built so precise, so specific. You can even read in the descriptions. The way that it's being mapped out is there's purpose to everything that is being set and where it is going. Whether it's the places of sacrifice that would be happening. It would be the holy of holies. Whatever it may be, you can see. And it's almost built. Like you see the the angles to it. It is built in such an orderly, perfect Way, and I believe that this gives us a picture of the kind of God that we worship, that our God is a God of order. You see this from the very beginning of the scriptures. The way in which God puts the world together is so hyper-specific, right? You know this. He creates the, the world that we find ourselves in. He creates the stars and the sun. He creates the vegetation. He creates the animals. He creates everything, and it has its place. It's meant to be in a certain spot. It has a role that it plays in it. And then what we discover is at the end, God creates human beings, and the word that is used about what the human beings are then to do is to rule over all these things, to keep them all in their order, to keep them all in their place. The word that is used for rule is a royal term. It sort of ascribes to men and women that they're not just men and women, they're like kings and queens who have like a dominion to rule over, to keep it in place and to keep everything That God has created in its place. But there's a problem. You know this problem. What do you do when these like image bearers of God get a little out of whack? Well, sin enters the world. And what we see about sin early on in the story is that sin becomes like the great disorderer of all things that God has put into place. It becomes the great thing that every time it shows up and rears its ugly head, the place that God has put things are all of a sudden shuffled. It's nice to know that none of this happens in our world anymore. Everything is so orderly and everyone is so polite and everyone is doing everything that they ought to be doing. That's not the case, is it? We still see that disorder show up and rear its ugly head. It doesn't take long you have a conversation with anyone. You recognize all sorts of things that get out of whack. And what God is constantly trying to do, I would say this way, that God's great goal in our world is to put it back together, is to create order. Again, I think about the great, like, topics of conversation in the world. Even the way in which people talk about God finds itself in the midst of disorder. It's either a complete myth, this this made-up thing, God can't possibly be real, or we see people wielding the name of God for the sake of their causes that are ultimately just as disorderly and destructive as anything else was. I think about sexuality in the world in which we live, One of the great things that gets put out of order, you find people who are going, it is either this completely secular identity that you can craft from it, or it is this thing that is meant to cause guilt and shame and wield over people. And what God says is, no, when sexuality finds its place in the right spot, it's simply sacred. It's made by God, for God, through God. It's it's a gift. Every time a marriage falls apart, that's a picture of disorder showing up. God's great goal is to put those things back together. Every time we see our kids lose their minds and go off the rails, it's a picture of disorder. And God's great goal is to put things back in order. When I think about the word order in the Scriptures, it doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean that everything is perfect. It means that everything is in the exact spot that it is supposed to be in. Just curiosity, we don't have anyone who's a chef in this room, do we? And I mean like a real chef, not those of you who go home and like do your best Martha Stewart impersonation. No, there's a phrase though in the world of cooking, in the world of restaurants, uh, it's a French term called mise en place. Can you say mise en place? How many of you have heard this phrase before? A few of you, yeah. It's a French term that simply means everything in its place. Everything in its place. If you've ever walked into the kitchen at a restaurant, you know it is not a peaceful place at all. Things are being thrown People are yelling, people are being yelled and called things out of their name. It is a chaotic place, but you know the only way in which a chaotic place like that works is that every food item, every pot, every pan, every knife, everything is labeled, everything has been pre-cut, everything has been pre-sorted, everything is put in its place. And you know why they do that? So when the kitchen goes crazy, they have something that they can anchor themselves back to. We know where things are, we know where things are meant to be. Our God is a God of order, and what he is trying to constantly do is take this world of ours that has gotten so chaotic and so crossways, and he's simply trying to put it back together. He did this in ancient Israel, and he still does it today. The temptation though when we hear that our God is a God of order can make us think that what God is really concerned about is like the macro problems of the world like he's really concerned about the way things are unfolding at a 30,000 foot level. But we're not sure that he really cares about like the way things are going in our lives, but if the temple gives us a picture of anything, it's that our God is a God of the details. Our God is a God who is concerned about the details. Look at what, what is written in 1 Kings again, starting in chapter 6 verse 23. This is written it says for the inner sanctuary he made a pair of cherubim out of olive wood, each 10 cubits high. One wing of the first cherub was 5 cubits long, and the other wing 5 cubits, 10 cubits from wing to wing tip. This is getting hyper-specific. The second cherub also measured 10 cubits, for the, ten, the two cherubim were identical in, in size and shape. The height of each cherub was 10 cubits. He placed the cherubim inside the innermost room of the temple with their wings spread out. The wing of one cherub touched one wall while the wing of the other touched the other wall, and their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. He then overlaid, he being Solomon, the cherubim with gold. On the walls all around the temple in both the inner and outer rooms, he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. He also covered the floors of both the inner and the outer rooms of the temple with gold. For the entrance to the inner sanctuary, he made doors out of olive wood. That were one-fifth of the width of the sanctuary. And on the two olive wood doors, he carved cherubim, palm trees, open flowers, and overlaid the cherubim and palm trees with hammered gold. In the same way, for the entrance to the main hall, he made door frames out of olive wood that were there one-fourth of the width of the hall. He also made two doors out of juniper wood, each having two leaves that turned in sockets. He carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers on them and overlaid them with gold hammered evenly over the carvings. Listen, you get the picture. The temple that Solomon is constructing is highly detailed. Carving a cherubim wasn't like you were chiseling a rectangle. This is like an elaborate creature in the mythology of the Israelites. This is like a massively detailed thing, and he's carving them. Where? Everywhere. Our God is a God who cares about the details of the world. I would actually say that what that means for us is that God is deeply interested in the details of our lives. He's not just interested in like the macro things going on in the world. He's not just like, well, if I can get everything in the political systems to work out, then we'll be good. He actually cares about the details of your lives, which, and Gary, thank you so much for reading the scripture this morning, is a way for us to say that God sees us. He sees you. Some of you have been like slaving away in your marriage, trying to get things to work, trying to find the order of it. And the thing that you keep asking yourself is like, is this, is this ever gonna work? Is it gonna, is it gonna get back to where it's supposed to be? Is it, gonna, is it gonna fall in line? Friends, can I tell you, God sees the work that you're doing. He sees it. He's not just sort of staring up high, being like, well, they're doing something down there. He sees it. There are those of you who you have been trying to like straighten out your life. You, you have found space in your morning. You wake up early and you read the scriptures and you pray. And as you do it, life has not gotten better. So you keep wondering, man, does God even pay attention to what I'm doing here? He sees you. Those of you that are moms in the room, especially new moms, you, you're up late with a baby trying to make sure that they're going to survive And they don't seem to care at all. (laughs) And so you cry and you're angry and you're frustrated. But you love them, but you're frustrated. God sees you. He sees you. God is deeply interested in the details of our lives, which is to say that God notices what is going on in your world. If there's a clear, if there isn't a clear picture than this, it's Jesus Himself. God's like, it's not enough for me to look up here. I'm going to get down here with you. I think about this moment in the Gospel of John. You know this story. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, "Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit." For those of you who are trying to like form your character. You want to make sure that your life is lined up with the righteousness and goodness of God. Nathaniel is a great picture of what happens when you do that. How do you know me, Nathan asked? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I saw you. Think about the story that Gary read. This woman hunched over in the temple. Jesus sees her. God sees you. The greatest details of your life, God is paying attention to you. Then, Nathan, then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi... You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And Jesus is so fascinated with the details of our lives. Some of you might have a hard time believing that. Because the God that you've believed in most of your life is so powerful, so holy, so good, that there's no way that he could pay attention to you. There are some of you in here that your life has fallen into complete shambles. So you can't help but make A plus B equals C. My life is a mess. God's not doing anything. There's no way he's paying attention to me. I think about the story of Job in the Old Testament. No, I know I'm throwing you around on slides. I think about Job in the Old Testament. There's this one verse in there. Can we throw up that first one, Noah? This is how you think about God. For he views the ends of the earth and he sees everything Under the heavens, but for you, that means he sees everything but you. But think about what Job says just a few verses later. His eyes are on the ways of who? That's you. He sees their every step. God is not so big that he's not paying attention to your life. Think about Job. His life had completely fallen apart. And his conclusion God sees everything, but I know he's paying extra attention to the humans who are walking around. This is what the temple is meant to give us a picture of, is that our God is a God who is, who is interested in putting the world back together. And the way he does that is not through just the macro things. He's interested in putting the details of our lives back together. But I think about what Solomon says as he has this moment where the word of the Lord comes to him. It says, the word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you are building... If you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David, your father. And I will what? Live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people. Friends, when we discover that we worship a God who is interested in putting our lives back together, putting our world back together, and he's also quite interested in the details of your lives... What we discover is that ultimately what God is trying to offer the Israelite people in this moment is what he's offering us now. He is a God who is offering his presence always. The ultimate gift that God gives his people is not a God who like hides out in the temple. What he gives his people is a God who is saying, I will do anything and everything to be with you. And you know what's wild about this? Um, the Israelites if you've ever read the bible are not exactly like the greatest group of people. Like if there's a group of people that you're like, you know what, I would be around them no matter what they do. The Israelites have really pushed the limit on what that is. Every time God like draws close to them, you see it in the scriptures. They stiff arm him as hard as they can. He says, "Hey, I'll be as close to you as you want. Just stick with me, follow my follow my commands, walk with me, you're going to be in great shape." And they're like, "Yeah, I think we're going to go over here actually." He's like, but I'll pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon your life. And they're like, yeah, but this over here looks better. The whole story of Israel is that while God is constantly offering his presence to them, they are constantly rejecting it. And yet, you know what this God says? Even if you reject me, I'm gonna keep offering myself to you. Uh, Just a couple of days ago, I was sitting outside in our backyard and my two kids were playing. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Some of you know who they are. And um, their reputation precedes them at this point. Um, My my four-year-old son, Huck, he he is like at the place where he loves to play on his own. He wants to be on his own. His two-year-old sister, though, just wants to be with her big Bubba, just wants to be with her big brother, wants to play with him. So when they go outside, Huck will find his way over to the sandbox, and Maisie will shortly follow him. He has no interest in what is going on with that. She is only interested in being with her brother. That's all she wants to do. So Huck has invented this new game for her that's quite funny to me. He only does it if I'm not watching. But he will go, hey, Maisie, I think you want to go play in that corner of the, the backyard. And he points to the complete opposite corner. And he's like, yeah, you could go over there and pretend that you're at work and like do stuff. And I'm like, listen, I'm like, man, he's really selling it. And she is a two-year-old who's very kind-hearted. She goes, okay, Bubba. And she goes over, I know, oh, she goes over there. And she stands there for all of five seconds. And then she goes, wait, you're not over here. I only did this because I thought you were coming with me. So she makes her way back over to him. And he, about halfway of the journey, he will start yelling at her to go play something else. They have this little, like, kitchen outside. And he yells at her, go play in the kitchen. And I'm like, we're not doing that this early in life. You're not going to start yelling at women to go play in the kitchen. We're not doing that. It's usually when I intervene. He'll be like, why don't you go get a bucket of water from inside the house? He knows she can't reach a sink. She doesn't even have a bucket, but she starts walking. Okay, Baba. She goes, she gets right inside the door and realizes, you're not with me. Why am I doing this? And she wanders back over because for Maisel, the win is not doing something. The win is if she is with the person whom she loves. And friends, the truth about our God is that he works exactly like my two-year-old daughter does. Not Exactly. In this story, exactly, but not most of the time. She works just like that. She's not, God is not interested in being housed up in a temple so you can look at him and think, wow, how great is that? God is really interested in putting the world back together and being in the details of your lives and offering you his presence because he loves you in spite of every reason he shouldn't. Most of us spend our time in church. There's no doubt. We'll leave today and we'll be like, man, God was truly in this place. We saw it show up through the prayers of the people, through the reading of Scripture. We saw it. And you will find yourself by Wednesday having done something that is embarrassing or or shame-oriented or something that you're like, man, I wish I could take that back. And the question that will wander through your head is, was God still with me now? If the picture of the temple and the life of Israel gives us any hope, it's that God will never stop drawing close to you. You can, like, mess up as royally as you think about, and he will never stop trying to give you his presence. It's a gift. You can't reject it if you tried. He will keep drawing closer and closer and closer to you. This is what our God does. Band, you guys can come back up. As we get ready to head to the table. Because I think there's no better picture of the way that God offers us his presence than what communion is. Communion for the church every week is us stepping to a table that Jesus Himself invited us to. That God who came in the flesh, who said, I'm going to I'm I'm not just gonna put the world back together up here, I'm gonna get down into the dirt and the details of your lives. And that's how we're going to put the world back together again. And then on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is a picture of my body, which is given for you, not for a bunch of other people, for you. There's been constant wrestling theological arguments for thousands of years over what happens when we eat the bread and drink the juice. All I can tell you is that it is the clearest picture of what it looks like for the presence of God to be among us right now. That as we eat and as we drink, we are reminded, not just of what Jesus has done on a cross, but the way in which God does all things as he draws near to his people. That same night he took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink it, would you do this in remembrance of me? And when we remember what Jesus has done, it is in that moment that his presence is right with us. New Life East, would you stand this morning? I want to invite our communion servers to come forward. We're going to form two lines down this center aisle here. One of our servers will give you a wafer that represents the body of Christ. You'll take that wafer and dip it into the cup that represents the shed blood of Christ. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God given for the people of God. Would you come forward to receive communion?
1: thinking while we were worshiping about about how the psalmist says that you perfect the things that concern me and how they said about Jesus in the gospels that he has done everything well and sometimes I think that we think that the effort of faith is to convince God to perfect the things that concern us we're trying to convince God to do everything well in our lives it's not you know what the effort of faith is to believe that it's already so. That he is, he's just, he's doing it. And some of you came in this morning with so much despair in your heart about whether he was at work in your lives. And I'm just here to tell you, yeah, he is. He is, he's working, Paul says, he's working all things together for the good of those who love him. And so here's the whole thing. I pray this over you all the time, New Life East. I'm like, God, would you just help them trust it? like to rest in the presence of God. And so this morning, as we close out our service, can we just pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? A prayer that acknowledges all these things. Pray with me, church. Say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you can agree with that, can you give God praise this morning, real loud, for all that He's done in this house this morning? What a morning. What a beautiful time together. Hey, one thing I got to tell you about before I dismiss you this morning, a fun little update for our team. Many of you know, uh, we've been searching the last several months for a worship leader, did a national search, fielding resumes from across the country. And a couple weekends ago, we had a guy guest lead worship for us, Seth Fowler. You might remember him. He was tall and he still is tall. And we were actually candidating him that weekend just to see if him and his wife would be a good fit for us. Seth brings a whole bunch of giftedness to the table, uh, obvious accomplishment and ability. But the thing that we were most impressed by with Seth when he was with us was his humility. No big persona that he was trying to ram in this place. Nothing for us to step around. Just a humble guy who told us over and over again, my wife and I are just looking for a place where we can like go the distance with people that we love. And so we officially extended an offer to Seth Fowler a couple of weeks ago to invite him to be part of our team. And him and his wife, Caitlin said, yes. Thanks be to God for that. Do we have a picture of them this morning? I thought, okay. Bless you, my child. That's great. I was supposed to get a picture from (laughs) Seth, so I didn't. So pray for them. They're wrapping up their ministry on the East Coast or at a church out there and trying to get their house sold. And we're hoping, hoping, hoping to have them here uh, by October 1st. While I'm saying all this, I also need us to give as much appreciation as we can possibly give for Colin Stoddard, Jillian Lynn, and the whole team. John Lynn, who have held it together so beautifully and not just held it together But strength is built in this house through their ministry, and so we're appreciative of them. New Life East, lift your hands like this. Let me bless you as you go out of here. I say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. If you need prayer for anything, altar ministry team will be available to you down front here and on the side of the auditorium. Go get a coffee, go get donuts, see us at Connect Central. We love you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you real soon.